Please rise as you are able. Test Jesus, teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going uh, down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by, a chance, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave, it to the inn, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, he said. The one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The true gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise the, the Lord, Lord, the word, the light. Okay, be seated, please. I say good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. At approximately 3.20, on the morning of March 13, 1964, 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was returning to her home in a nice middle-class area of Queens, New York. She parked her car in a nearby parking lot, turned off the lights, and started to walk to her second-floor apartment some 35 yards away. She got as far as the streetlight when a man grabbed her. She screamed. Lights went on on the 10th-floor apartment building nearby. She yelled, Oh my God, he stabbed me! Please help me! Windows opened to the apartment building, and a man's voice shouted, Let that girl alone! The attacker looked up, shrugged, and walked off down the street. Miss Genovese struggled to get to her feet. Lights went back off in the apartments. The attacker came back and stabbed her again. 
She cried out, I'm dying, I'm dying. And again, the lights came on and the windows opened in many of the nearby apartments. The assailant again left and got into his car and drove away. Ms. Genovese staggered to her feet as the city bus drove by. It was now 3.35 a.m. The attacker returned once again. He found her in a doorway at the front of the stairs and he stabbed her a third time, this time with a fatal consequence. It was 3.50 when the police received the first call. They responded quickly and within two minutes were at the scene. Ms. Genovese was already dead. Kitty Genovese was a name that would become symbolic in the public mind for a dark side of the national character. It would stand for Americans who were too indifferent or too frightened or too alienated or too self-absorbed to get involved in helping a fellow human being in dire trouble. Detectives investigating the murder discovered that no fewer than 38 of her neighbors had witnessed at least one of her killer's three attacks, but had but another, none of them had come to her aid nor called the police. The one call made to the police came after Genevieve was already dead. Some of you, no doubt, have heard this story. That incident may be the defining moment of urban apathy in the latter half of the 20th century. When it happened, many thought the incident was shocking or bizarre, but not typical of the way people respond. The question was asked, what was wrong with those people anyway? Today's text is the first century equivalent. It is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning in the verse 25. It is the familiar story of the Good Samaritan, and it is told in response to a question asked of Jesus by a Jewish lawyer. The story begins in verse 25, where, he, where we read, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We are told that this man is a, a lawyer, but he's not the kind of lawyer who goes to court in a civil or criminal case. This law, lawyer, L-A-W, lawyer, is an expert in Old Testament law. He is an Old Testament scholar. The question asked of Jesus by this lawyer is, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He was asking what Jesus saw as the essential requirements of the law. Much like the rich young ruler of Matthew, he seems to be saying, what good thing must I do in order to have eternal life? I can just see Jesus smiling as he throws the question back in the lawyer's lap. In verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Jesus restrains from giving the man an answer. Instead says to him, You know the law. What does it say? In verse 27, the lawyer answers Jesus, You shall love the Lord God, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Now Jesus asked the question, the man gives the answer, and then Jesus responds by saying, Good answer, now go do it. Some are troubled by this answer, but we need to understand that Jesus is not saying that he could be saved by the law. He is reminding the man of what the law says. The law requires not only that one keep the law, but he keep it perfectly. The law must be kept without omissions or failures. To be justified under the law, one must be perfect. Jesus wants the lawyer to see that law cannot save anyone because no one can keep the law perfectly. You know, the Old Testament lawyer did what lawyers do so well. He looked for a loophole in the law. In verse 29 it says, But what he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now why did the lawyer ask this question? Luke says that he wanted to justify himself. That is, that he wanted to make himself seem right in his relationship with God. The lawyer measured himself against both commands, and he figured that 
He meant the first one well enough, but his keeping of the second one depended on how he defined neighbor. He was asking, who and how much do I have to love? We are often like the lawyer in that we try to reduce God's commands to something we can live with. We would like to believe that loving my neighbor means loving people who love me, or at least loving people who are lovable. Loving my neighbor, thereby, comes to mean doing nice things for people who will probably do nice things back to me. That is probably what the lawyer thought, too. So the lawyer's original question was, what do I have to do to get in? But Jesus' answers, answer is to tell him what someone who he's already in looks like. Like many of us, the lawyer knew the right answers, but he was totally unprepared for Jesus' story about what compassion looks like in real life. Jesus defines neighbor with a story, but notice that Jesus did not call this story a parable. So it could be the report of an actual occurrence, not unlike the first century Kitty Genovese story. The journey from Jericho to Jerusalem was well known for its danger. It was very steep and treacherous and, and offered many places for robbers to hide. In fact, it was so bad that the name of the road was the way of blood. So this is a, a, a very believable story to those who were listening. Now let me point out that this story te teaches us some basic lessons concerning compassion. Number one, compassion is based on need, not worth. In verse 30 we read, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded, oh, stripped him of his clothing, I read a blank page all over there, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Our compassion is to be driven not by the worth of the recipient, but by the need. Jesus just says, a certain man. Today we would probably just say, some guy. This man is robbed and wounded and left for dead. He needs help in the worst way. As the unknown victim lay beside the road, a series of three individuals come along the way. The first passerby is introduced in verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest came down the road, but when he saw the man, he crossed the other side and continued his journey. The priest had been excused by some, some, uh, by some down through the years by saying that he didn't want to touch the man because he might have been dead, and this would have made the priest ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, and he would have been unable to carry out his duties. But I want you to notice that it says that both he and the Levite who came along next are coming down the road. Thus, they were leaving Jerusalem and had already performed their duties. This is one of the most shocking aspects of this parable when Jesus told it. The priest was considered the holiest person there was among the Jews. He was the one who taught the scriptures. He was entrusted with offering sacrifices for the sin of the people. He was allowed to go further into the temple than regular people were. If anyone was going to reflect the character of God, it would be the priest. The second, the second passerby is introduced in verse 32. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite, at least, went over and looked at the man, which may have been nothing more than a current practice of rubbernecking at the scene of an accident to see what had happened. He also did not feel a need to do anything to help. Like Kitty Genovese's neighbors, the first two passerbys probably just didn't want to get involved. They didn't want any trouble. They weren't, they weren't monsters, per se, but they were regular folks, like... Like, like you and me, ordinary people who love their kids and try their best to get by in this world. Just like the witnesses in Kitty's murder, they saw the need, yet 
did not do anything about it. Both of these men saw the injured man but ignored the need. These two religious professionals were caught up in a lifeless religion. They played at church, but it did not affect the way that they live. Is yours? So, one, compassion is, uh, compassion is based on the need, not the worth of the recipient. And two, compassion feels something in, compassion feels something. Compassion feels something. In verse 33, we read, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, it would have been shocking for Jesus to have told the people that this man was helped by just an ordinary man. But it is not even a Jew helping a Jew, but rather a Samaritan helping a Jew who had just been ignored by his fellow Jews. Giving the mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans would have been more likely to have expected the Samaritan to finish the guy off. <laughs> Today we call this story the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, the very phrase Good Samaritan has become part of our common language. But this was definitely not a phrase that the Jews of Jesus' day would ever use. In fact, they probably couldn't have even considered saying the words good and Samaritan in the same name or in the same sentence. The passage says that when he saw him, he had compassion. The Greek word used here for compassion is splanchnizomai. Splanchnizomai. Splanchnizomai which is a very vivid word in many ways. It comes from a word that refers to the intestines, or bowels. It sounds pretty gross, but it's the equivalent of what we mean when we talk about a gut feeling, which is a feeling that comes from the deepest part of who we are. The Samaritans saw the same pitiful man lying in agony because uh, uh, beside the road, and his heart churned within him so that he could not pass by without helping. That's the way compassion affects us. It stirs us. It troubles us. It keeps us awake at night until we do something. When the Samaritan looked at that suffering man lying half dead by the side of the road, something happened in his gut. Something that made it impossible for him to walk away. He didn't decide to help this guy based on how worthy he was. He helped him because of how needy he was. There's no logical reason for the Samaritan to rearrange his plans or to spend his money to help an enemy in need. Of all the people who passed by this injured man, the Samaritan had the least reason to help. He was basically a nobody in his society before uh, the incident, and his good deed would not change his status in the community at large. So, compassion not only feels something, but compassion does something. Compa not, not only was the Samaritan's compassion based on the need rather than the worth of the victim, but it caused the Samaritan to feel something so deeply that had to be expressed in action. In verse 34 we are told, So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He doesn't pass by on the other side. He moved toward the injured man. You must move toward people in order to express compassion. You must move toward people in order to build relationships. It's not something that just mystically happens. It takes a concentrated effort, and it's often not convenient. Don't forget that Samaritan is moving towards someone who, if he was conscious, would despise him. Someone who, no doubt, would not do the same for him if the situation were reversed. Jesus details just how active this man's compassion was in a series of six acts. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on his wounds. 
He put him on his donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. In every one of his acts, he demonstrated compassion as he responded in a practical, timely, and unselfish way. He put him on his own donkey, which meant that the Samaritan walked. It is important to recognize that he took the time to take care of him. We may not be able to help everyone everywhere, but we can help someone somewhere by trying to do a meaningful work of service. So compassion not only does something, does something, but compassion costs something. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. And this man really went the extra mile. He took, he took this man to an inn and saw to it that the innkeeper looked out for him while he recovered. And he, would, he even promised that he would uh, return and fully reimburse the innkeeper for any additional expenses that he incurred uh, in caring for this man. He left money to take care of this wounded man's needs and the, put no limit on how much he would spend to make sure that he was taken care of. He put his money where his mouth was. There's nothing more the Samaritan could have done to show his compassion for this man. So, compassion costs something, and compassion demonstrates our relationship to God. Same with me, Tim. At the conclusion of his story, Jesus asked the lawyer one additional question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The lawyer almost chokes on his words here. He cannot even bring himself to say the word Samaritans, and so he responds in verse 37 with, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus tells this man, Go and do likewise. The lawyer is left without any of the excuses or the vindication that he wanted. The second question that the lawyer had asked Jesus was, Who is my neighbor? The question had been, turned on him and is now, what kind of neighbor am I? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, we read, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, now does the love of my God abide in him? How does the love of, my, how does the love of, of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Non diligamus verbo nec lingua sed operi et veritate. James, in his Practical Principles for Living the Christian Life, says in James uh, chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not, do not give them the, the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus, also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Compassion demonstrates whether we have a relationship with God. In conclusion, this story, in this story, Jesus is separating the person who has a real relationship with God from the merely religious. We see what the so-called religious folks did when they saw this man bruised and battered by the side of the road. They kept walking. In fact, they crossed the street and kept walking. Maybe you yourself have asked the same question 
For the lawyer asked, what must I do to go to heaven? The answer, have faith. And non diligamus verbo let linguas in an opere et veritate. Or put quite simply in our modern cliches, talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. Actions speak louder than words. Walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. We can act like angels when in church, but what matters are your actions when you leave the safety of the church and enter back into the world of the unexpected and unknown out there. Non diligamos verbo net linguas in opere et veritate. Go and do likewise. Amen. Okay. It is time for everybody's favorite part of the service. What is that, Tim? The announcements. Announcements. That's right. Everybody's favorite part of the service. We told you that. <laughs> do a poll. So, so is there a poll or something? I don't know. Common knowledge, I guess. I'm yeah. not sure. All right. Moving right through this very quickly. These are the standard announcements. We're going to go through these and get them done. And get out the door. It's so hot. I'm sweating. I'm melting up here. Okay. Request for prayer. Pray at DallasGLC.com. Pray at DallasGLC.com. If you have a, a prayer request, you just send an email to that email address. Pray at DallasGLC.com. If you remain anonymous or give us your name, you can choose to have your uh, prayers uh, said during our prayers of intercession on Sunday, or we do pray every day here at Dallas Universal Life Church, and you can have your prayers said during our daily prayers here. Pray at DallasUOC.com. Compliments, concerns, suggestions, or complaints. If you have one of those, you need one of these. That's another email address for you folks. Feedback at DallasUOC.com. Very simple. One of those, type into this one. Okay, moving on. Did you know, did you know that we had a podcast? I heard, but I didn't want to believe it. I, I can't believe you can't believe it. We do. We have a podcast. Podcast is uh, going for about five years now, um, and it's doing okay. It's doing great. And, and if you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, I, I find that I, I hear something different on the podcast than I do even being here in church or watching it on YouTube or anything else. It's it, it's just it's something about through the podcast. I don't know if this is some sort of magic or something, but you know, anyway, it's true though. You, you go check out the podcast. I, I think you'll find that it's it's uh, it's interesting, an interesting way to, to to hear the service. Now you can do our. You might just ask yourself here, hey. How do I listen to your podcast? Well, that's very simple. You go to your favorite browser and you type in Your Path with Bishop Mark. Or you ask Alexa to play Your Path. Or you can go to one of these wonderful providers which provides our podcast to you. And that is Anchor by Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or TuneIn. Please check out one of our lovely providers there. You can make a difference. We are a church of volunteers. Nobody here takes a salary. The only way we survive is through our tithes and through donations from you. Um, if you find that you like what you're hearing here, if you see that our message of an all-loving, all-inclusive God uh, appeals to you, if you see that we need to get this message out, you know that the importance of our message, please consider making a donation to Dallas Universal Life Church. It's very simple. You just go to DallasULC.com and click on Donate. Uh, every donation is tax deductible, so that's a, a little perk for you. But we could use your help. Go to DallasUOC.com and click on donate. Now I do always get, you know, every every time I, I talk about you know giving money to the church, I get people who come and say, "Yo, Bishop, I love the church. I, I really do, but I, I don't have any money." Hey, join the club. I'm broke too. Do what I do. <laughs> Volunteer. 
Uh, that's a great way of, 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 of tithing the church, of, of giving back to the church. It's also a great way to meet your fellow congregants. Very simple, go to DallasRealC.com and click on Volunteer. So you'll see all the list of the volunteer positions we have available. If you don't like one of those things on there, that's fine. Come on in. There's always work to be done here at the church. Um, the work never gets finished. There's not enough hours of the day to finish all the things that need to be done. And we can always use your help. So please, uh, go to DallasRealC.com, click on Volunteer. You can sign up with me or, uh, either on the phone or through email. Or you can come to church and sign up with me. My side, Billy. Okay. Jim, how long is that video? 20 seconds. Why? Because that is the minimum amount of time they say that you should wash your hands in order to fully kill the germs that are on it. Right. So, 20 seconds is the minimum amount of time you should be washing your hands with soap and water to kill the, the viruses like the coronavirus that are on your hands. If you don't do it for 20 seconds, if you're not washing your hands for at least 20 seconds, you're wasting soap and water, you're wasting your time, and you're probably killing somebody. It's that simple. Wash your hands 20 seconds. Wear your mask if you're comfortable doing so. Continue to practice social distancing. You don't need to be touching everything and everybody. Um, get vaccinated. Please, folks. This is not that difficult. Get vaccinated. Keep clean. And let's get this behind us. Please. Amen. All right.